The Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Over the last 25 years, I've built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range. And I can't tell you how important it is for businesses to have a line of credit so they can make an investment in their business or even for unexpected emergencies. I can tell everybody uh, uh, that all our listeners that I've had lines of credit for myself, uh, for my businesses uh, that have saved my butt (laughs) many times. Um, And I think, you know, I passionately believe that having a line of credit is very, very valuable, uh, even if you never use it. Um, Our line of credit program is easy to get in place, inexpensive when used, and costs nothing to set up, making it a great cash backup plan. If you'd like to learn more about our line of credit program, please visit us at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Or give us a call at 862-207-4118. If you apply today, we will even give you a $250 credit on file. Just remember that the time to set up a line of credit is before you need it. So that when you do need it, it's there, approved, ready to go. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Bella Engelbach from Lean for Humans. Um, Bella a lead consultant at Lean for Humans, blends lean and creativity, helping organizations and individuals achieve innovative results in science-based environments. Before opening her own company in 2018, Bella was a process uh, excellence leader at J&J, focused uh, bringing continuous improvement and lean thinking to the pharmaceutical and medical device R&D sectors. A problem-solving facilitator, Bella was a member of the board of directors of the Lean Product and Process Development Exchange for six years. She is a certified professional coach, the author of Creativity Lean, How to Get Out of Your Own Way and Drive Innovation Throughout Your Organization. Bella also hosts her own podcast, The, The Edges of Lean. Bella, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Wow, Stephen, thank you. It's great to be here. So uh, today's topic, uh, you know, uh, I think I surprise a lot of our guests uh, because I find topics that relate really, I think, relate really, really well to business that most people would say is, okay, what's the angle here? And, um, you know, it's only because I, I read a ton, but, uh, you know, today's topic of using science-based thinking in business, um, you know, and I'll tell Bella why I really like this topic. Um, and I, and I'm sure, I'm sure she'll be jumping up and down about it, but, uh, well, I maybe, maybe not, but so what happened was I, I really kind of liked the, the methodology that scientists use. Uh, to discover things. I thought that it's very thorough and it's very objective and fact-based. So I, when I am sometimes looking at a new business idea, maybe it might be to create a new company, um, I started studying how um, science uses their methodology to determine if 
something um, is going to be is going to work based on science. So you know, taking out all the get. Uh, you know, well, I mean, Bella, you're gonna be able to explain it better than I am. You know, I know I'm, I'm kind of butchering it a little bit, but I wanted to get like, I wanted to eventually get a methodology down for for building uh, to coming out with business ideas, and I wanted it to be thorough. So that's why I was kind of like excited about having Jan today because I wanted to hear your input on that idea. So that's great, and thanks so much for that insight. I think that's really very important because I think one of the things that happens when people start businesses and I would include myself in, in that is that you have you have an idea right and you get excited about your idea and you start to buy into this stuff about I don't know the power of positive thinking and if you just work hard enough and and um, you know it's 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 all going to work um, and you know obviously as people find out that usually doesn't happen. It's not just about how hard you work, how much hustle do you have. It's also about, um, you know, understanding what are the facts of the situation and when there is something that you need to overcome, figuring out how you're going to overcome it. So can I tell you like how, how I came to the, this realization? Yeah, please. Okay. So um, as people probably heard from my bio, my whole career has actually been in the life sciences. I, st I started out in the life sciences. I was in, I've been in the life sciences forever. I don't even want to tell you how long I've been in the life sciences. And I started out working in labs. So when you work in the lab, you're doing science, right? So you want to understand something and you go through a certain process to understand it and you read a lot about what other people have done and you build knowledge based on what other people have learned and you do experiments and then you try to figure out like, 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 is this the right experiment? Did it deliver the results I thought it was going to deliver? If it did, why? If it didn't, why not? And like you said, it's very rigorous, it's fact-based, it's about collecting data, it's about making sure you're analyzing the data in the appropriate way, they have enough data, so on and so forth. Now, like everybody else in in these businesses, unless you're like, like totally, 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 like the science is the only thing I want to do, you end up being attracted to other aspects of the business. So you move out of the lab, you might move into management, you might move into... Um, regulatory affairs, which is, you know, how you actually get something approved by a health authority like the FDA. You might move into project management. You might move into, you know, all kinds of different functions inside one of these companies. And this is a weird thing that happens. As soon as people get out of the lab, they stop being scientists. <laughs> and it comes down to, hey, I want to do something. Let's just go out and do it. So, you know, so this idea that you get, you know, people talk about waterfall project manager. We're going to set an objective and we are going to measure that objective and we are going to do the things that we need to do to march through maybe that objective. Well, what happens, especially in the life sciences, is that there's a bunch of stuff you didn't know, right? So you, if you make these big decisions early on, I'm going to launch this product on this date. Well, there's a massive amount of stuff you don't know. But you, you, if you keep trying to march through, what happens? You get what we call a big learning loop at the end of the process. In the case of a pharmaceutical company, this could be when you are doing like a really big, expensive, and I mean really expensive, phase three trial with a drug and it doesn't work. 
oh my goodness, you've invested all this money. You've told Wall Street that it's going to work. You're going to, you know, it's it's all great. It could be, you know, up to a billion dollars that you that you're getting close to investing, and the darn thing does not work in the way that you expected it to work. Right? It's massive late stage failure. Right. So what's going on? I was really intrigued, like, what's going on with us mentally? Why do we, like in the lab, we're so good at, we, you know, we don't jump to conclusions. And as soon as we get out of the lab, we, you know, we, we it's almost like this idea that something magic is going to happen. So I said, um, I, so I started to, to really think about how do we be scientists all the time. And what I really discovered was it's very helpful to be a scientist all the time because as soon as you say, I don't know and I need to learn something, then you are open to learning the things that you didn't know that happened. And when you actually determine to go ahead and learn those things rather than being sure about them, then that's when you can actually make forward progress. And the weird thing is, and you probably know this, Stephen, from from your studies, is the more small experiments you do at the beginning of the process, the less likely you are to have that dramatic late stage failure. I, I like right? what you I like what you said there. Let's let me stop you for there because you you brought something up that I was thinking back because when I was looking at scientific methodologies, that my it was several years ago, and um. And what I, and what you were saying about those little science experiments, right, made me think of you know some of the things that I really liked about it, and and that is, throughout my career, what I've what I've liked to to, to have done is to do the things that reduce the risk of failure, so that I can then increase the risk of success. So, so like I do things that I think many, many entrepreneurs don't do and they hate to do. And like, so like I'll give you an example. I've always believed in having a business plan. And the reason being is that statistically people who have a business plan are more likely to not fail in business. It's, it's a statistic. So I said, okay, if I want to reduce my potential for failure, okay, that's, that's a harsh word, but I, I, I'm going to do a business plan. I'm going to make sure – and my business plans have evolved over time. and that They're more of a working document than they are like a, like a, a big analysis that you would do in, when you're in college. See, that's kind of not what I'm talking about. Um, so, so – the same thing goes for me, goes through what we're talking about, the methodology of using uh, science or research. Uh, because, you know, and you talked about the little experiment. So what happened was several years ago, uh, I was starting, uh, you know, another company. And, you know, what I noticed is every single time we started a, a, a company is we got, we got more methodical in checking the boxes of all the different things that we knew we wanted to the next business or that we had to do to get this, the business up and running very quickly. And it was a, and that's the key word meth, methodology or methodical. And, and so, I, when, so, when, so when you talk about these little experiments, 
to, uh, and I think, is it, was that the way you put it, it little experiments? Yeah, little, small experiments. So sometimes we talk about a fast learning cycle. So, Yeah, I mean, so to me, that's exactly what you do when you're running a business. You don't go from, you know, you know, this idea to spending, you know, a, a million dollars and just, you just start going. You try it out a little bit. You try it out. You experiment. You say, "Hey, will customers buy this?" You know that you you don't go from zero to a hundred super fast. You you kind of go through these phases, and by breaking it down into these little parts, you are able to pivot. You're able to test. You're able to experiment. You're able to learn the business. So you know, I think that what you're saying uh, reinforces the thought process I had back then and even now. Your comment on that? Yeah. So I'd say you said something really important. You were talking about the the methodology, which is all right. So you have a checklist, right? And, and the checklist is is we is based on what what you've already learned, right? So that is how this is kind of the lean thinking part of it. So that is how scientists actually work like we don't need to go out as a scientist and determine does gravity still exist (laughs) experiments have been done enough experiments have been done that we know on earth that gravity exists and we also know what the variations are in gravity and and we can actually rely on that information that's stuff we know right so what you want to have in your checklist right first of all are the you don't want need to do experiments on things you already know. The dangerous thing is, as you if you if you're doing checklists, and I'm just a, a huge believer in checklists. I just I just love checklists. The dangerous thing with a checklist is when you think you know something, and it's not true, right? So then that has to take, and that is where scientists. Um, you know, sometimes they're almost like kind of mean to each other, right? When you hear scientists debating something with each other, they'll ask those questions like, all right, you say this, how do you know it's really true? Where's the data? Show yeah. me the evidence. And then, then they'll dive in and say, all right, so your data is really crummy because you measured it in this way and you probably shouldn't be measuring it in that way. So you can get a little bit of like, so when people get afraid of you know paralysis by analysis, right? Yeah. So you have to you have to kind of know when to when to cut to the chase. So what you're talking about with having that checklist is actually about being knowledge based, right? So being knowledge based means that you're relying on the knowledge you already have, and you're only doing experiments to dispel risk on the things that you don't know. But it's always about maintaining a little bit of, um, I think, skepticism about, well, I think I know this. Does, does this still apply? Right. Well, the market shifted. Right. Um, you know, some something has changed. And I didn't pay attention. And we all know the stories of the companies where, you know, the market really shifted on them, but they knew what their customers wanted until their customers didn't want it anymore. So, yeah, I and I agree. So I'll give you an example where like then we're talking about very advanced stuff here about building a business. You know, this is like, you know, like the difference between me when I built my first business 25 years ago and then when I built my sixth business. You know, listen, my first business got to like three hundred thousand dollars in revenue. Right now, the margins I was in was really high, but 
uh, which is always like a joke, right? Quite honestly, I don't, I'm not trying to uh, insult anybody out there. It, you know, it was, it's a business business. And so anyway, 300,000 is not a lot in, uh, in revenue is not a lot of money. Um, the, the, the six business, you know, got up to 25 million, right? And it's, it's still going strong. It's doing really well. But the six business, and it's not financing solutions. I have another business as well that does really well. But, um, but we got the business up to a million dollars in revenue in a year. I mean, wow. it was like, you know, and the reason for that, it, it wasn't because of the industry we hit. Okay. It was because we knew every single step there was that we needed to do to test the business, to make sure it was working, to have the operations. We had that checklist. We were like, okay, we need this. We need software for CRM. Okay. We need our accounting package. Okay. We need to make sure we can do payroll. We need this. We need, we do our financials to make sure that we have a run rate that we could boom, 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 boom. Right. Anyway. So I'll give you another story though. It talks about what you're saying. And this is, I think the hardest part. And, and when you're building business, it's really hard to find people who have done it before, who have credibility and can be objective. So I was building this one. I was looking at this one industry. It was, I owned a company. It was a travel, it's called the travel nurse industry. These are nurses who go to work anywhere in the country for 13 weeks at hospitals. Okay. So, um, so I'm looking at the industry, like determining if I want to go in there. And I, I, became friendly with a guy from Tulsa, Oklahoma, who owned a business like that. He was very kind. And, and he let me fly out there and kind of see his operation and um, look at his numbers and all this other stuff. We weren't going to be competitors, so he, didn't, he was fine with that. So he goes in there and I look at his numbers and I looked at his gross margins and I, and I was like, yeah, you know what? I think I can do a lot better than he's doing because his gross margins weren't that great. Right. So I go out there and I think, Oh, I can do better. I'm a better businessman. Right. And so I go, I start the company and you know what? The gross margins that he was talking about were correct. I didn't look at all the other competitors to see what the industry standard was for gross margins in the business. And I, what it, I call it drinking your own Kool-Aid, right? And that is you, you get on the soapbox about, oh, I'm going to do, you know, you have this vision and I'm going to go, 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 go. And you believe your own Kool-Aid and you make up your own uh, object, uh, um, not objectives, uh, but uh, you make up your own sauce, so to speak, you know, yeah. instead of having somebody else, like in the science community, they're like, questioning the heck out of it, maybe a little too much, but that's science, right? Uh, what, do right. You, what, do you, what do you have to say about that? So I keep this on my desk. I don't know if any people who are listening that are going to see it, but it says, don't be so sure. Because right? I, I can't tell you how many times I've been caught up in my life while I was positive, you know, particularly when I like moving into something new, like you moving into the travel nurse um, business. Yeah. It's like, all of my experience told me this is going to be a certain way. It's always been this way, you know, well, you know, now the circumstances have changed, right? And it's like what I was saying about, we don't need to test gravity on earth. You know, plenty of people have done that, but we went, if we go to an entirely new planet, you know, 
we might need to understand what the gravity is like on the on the new planet. But are you march on and go, well, it's going to be the same as it's going to be on Earth. The next thing you know, you're flying off into space because you jump too high, right? So, so that I think is the really hard thing. And I love what you say, Stephen, about like not not believing your own stuff. You know, and it's isn't it hard for an entrepreneur? I mean, honestly, right now I'm I'm working on a um, you know something to send to a potential client. I'm like, like, like this is great and that is great, and I'm t- you know it's like I'm looking at this stuff. I'm going, this is really awesome stuff. Like they should hire us. But um, and I, if I believe that too much, I could be in exactly yeah. The same I think way, I think what, I think what you do is you surround yourself with people that. You think uh, I, I've done this my whole career, and that is uh, I try to anyway surround myself with people who could be of great value. And I think when you're looking at numbers, I think like for business, your accountants, your accountant can be really good at telling you if you're if you're being truthful or if you're just being too overly optimistic. You know, because their their tendency, like I think scientists, my guess, okay, now entrepreneurs, ninety five percent of them are the 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 most optimistic people. They have to be. They're trying to do something that's almost impossible, right? And and so you have to be this optimistic person because you're going to drive through this, you know, mud, so to speak. Whereas I think a scientist, I think their tendency, I don't know many scientists. I, I do know one really well, an entomologist um, who, uh, and, and she does fit this model, is they're, they're, they're skeptics. And I don't think you can be a, I don't know if you can be a, a really, really great entrepreneur. Uh, that's a, you know, an entrepreneur and only, and be a pessimist. I know you can't be a pessimist. Right. Okay. I, but, but you, but, and you, skepticism. Yes. I think that's a different word that, so maybe you can do that, but a lot of times skepticism and pessimism kind of go together a little bit. So what do you think? Do you think scientists? So, well, I think scientists fall into all kinds of categories and I've known scientists who've like fallen in love with a particular thing. No. Right. And they're very passionate about it. And sometimes that's led to, you know, I can think of one example where, you know, where somebody really fell in love with a particular uh, potential drug and it's turned out to be something that really helps people, even though everybody else is looking at it and saying, nah, this is never going to fly. So that optimism and being willing to push through and to, you know, to really fight for the resources to get the work done made a really big difference. And that was making the difference in patients' lives. Um, and I've also seen the kind of, of um, scientists who, like that whole job of peer review, that's what they love. And it's almost like it's more there into tearing other people down um, than, than anything else. That's what they seem to get joy from. But so I think there has to be a balance. I mean, and so what I think the thing is, is how do you look at if you're if, if you're a skeptic and your skepticism indicates to you that there is an obstacle, how do you look at the obstacle? Do you look at the obstacle and say that's an obstacle and we can't overcome it? Or do you look at the obstacle and say, this is an obstacle. It's standing in the way. What are we going to do to see how we can overcome the obstacle? How might we come up with creative thinking, creative ideas, creative experiments to see if we can overcome that obstacle? And I think that's the difference is, is, you know, you can be a pessimist, 
and and be an awful person, right? Or you can be an optimist and perhaps, you know, you, you hit the jackpot and, and something amazing happens out of that. But maybe you can be a person who looks at obstacles and says, all right, I acknowledge my skeptic, my inner skeptic acknowledges this obstacle exists. Now, how might we overcome that obstacle? I think what you're saying is really important. It's a team sport, right? Because it's very hard to be both at the same time. And maybe you need to be, if you're the, if you're the CEO of your enterprise, you, of your, you know, you're the salt, you're the entrepreneur. You've got to be the one with the belief and the dream and you're pushing forward and you're the one with your foot on the gas pedal. And somebody else needs to be saying, Hey, whoa, there's an obstacle. And then, you know, then you come back with your optimism and say, all right, I acknowledge there's an obstacle. I'm not going to ignore it. How might we? I think this is so critical to be able to say, how might we overcome that? Because as soon as you say, how might we? And this is, you know, this, how might we means there is a way. We're going to find a way. We're, you know, and my optimism is going to help me do that. Yeah, that's why it's like, it's really good to surround yourself with people. I mean, this, some of this is, you know, everybody talks about, but it's really good to sound your, uh, Surround yourself with people who aren't yes men, yes women, you know, people are going to go along with you because you're the boss and you, you have this dynamic personality that's going to just, you know, blow people away. You have to have people who are going to stand up to you and you have to have people that encourage you. Listen, if, if you think I'm wrong, you need to tell me, you know, and you, you know, you try to pick those type of people. And even if you go and say that you can say, listen, I have a very strong personality, you know, if you think I'm wrong, I don't care if this person works for you or not. You know, you say, you got to tell me that's what is going to help me the most. You know, the thing I wanted to ask you is how, when you see new scientists versus someone who's a very experienced scientist, because, you know, I'm trying to correlate brand new entrepreneurs with seasoned entrepreneurs to, to scientists. When you see young, inexperienced scientists, how are they different than the experienced scientists? Wow, that's a great question, Steve. I'm going to ponder that for just a just a moment. Um, I think that with young scientists, what we see is, particularly if they were recently graduated from a PhD program or a postdoc, they've gotten very focused on something which is probably quite small. And the, the academic training really forces them into that. They need to know a lot about something that is probably, you know, a very tiny area of knowledge, right? When you look at an experienced scientist, particularly I think at a successful experienced scientist, the thing that they do that's different is they, they still have that knowledge, right? But they have like soaked up information from other fields and they allow their creative mind to make connections between one field and another so that they can you know come up with new ways forward and new ideas um and so i you know and i think this is actually you know this is like a tug that i see in science and i know people have been talking about so in science there's always this push towards specialization super specialization which is necessary to get to the fine detailed understanding of whatever it is you're studying. And then there's also, if with the kind of problems we have in the world right now, to solve those problems, you know, people have to be comfortable and get used to working with people from other fields. And so there's this, uh, there's this lab at um, 
I think it's at MIT, it's called the Broad Lab. And the Broad Lab is set up specifically with the idea that people whose work has nothing to do with that, with anybody else's work are all working in the same space. Um, I don't know how they're dealing with the pandemic right now. And they, you know, they get coffee together, they oh. go to lunch together, they go for drinks together. That's amazing. And that's where the innovation comes from, right? Because now you've got people who are hearing from, you know, and I think that's really the difference. And I think the other thing is, is because I, you know, I sometimes coach and work with young scientists. Some of them are kind of frustrated with that. Like, you know, I did this thing. It's really cool. And I loved it. But I know there's more out there. And I feel like I want my career to be more of a branch out than, you know, than a focusing in. Um, yeah. Oh, man, I loved it. I did. Um, an, I did something called the uh, Master's in Entrepreneurship at MIT in but it wasn't a master's. Okay. What it was, was a three-year executive program, uh, combined it with Inc magazine and the entrepreneur organizations. And so for one week, uh, a year out of three years, they, they brought in 60 of the fastest growing companies that applied, um, in, uh, to MIT. And it was this extensive class, uh, from eight in the morning till basically 11 at night. And, 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 you know, these, the companies were all different and it was the best learning experience I've ever had. And you could see really, it's amazing. Like two companies out of that started off at like 10, 10 million in revenue and they're, and both, and two of them went are now billion dollar companies. Like so many of the people who went that to that program, um, all did very like 95% of the, the people who went to that all became serial entrepreneurs their whole lives. And this is, you know, so this is 15 years ago, but it, it, it's what you were talking about with that scientific, what's it called? Broad. The broad uh, lab. It's broad spelled lab. broad, but it's pronounced broad. Yeah. yeah. But you know, being experienced, be, being exposed to all these different uh, businesses, what you realized is I don't care if you're sell, selling um, dishware or if you're placing travel nurses or if you are, you know, uh, building uh, containers for ships, you know, it, it really, a business is a business and it really came down to the same type of methodology to make it successful. But, but you can get such great ideas from other businesses, right? Great and that, I, I, I know that's the thing. When I was when I was working in the big pharmaceutical company, I would do things like take people to. Uh, we took people to Lockheed Martin once, right? So, well, what can a pharma company learn from Lockheed Martin? Well, it turns out like, there's a lot, right? Yeah. And Lockheed Martin is is actually great at many things. So you know we could learn from them. Uh, you know, uh, we went to visit Harley Davidson. Yeah. You know, what could you know? What could we learn from Harley Davidson? Well, there's a lot we could learn from Harley Davidson. And you, initially, you kind of go in and go, "Well, like motorcycles are nothing like drugs," but you're right; it's the same process. If you are coming up with new products, you need to get new products on the market, and you need to, you know, you need to have a a launch that you can rely on. Well, why not go to a company that is actually good at that and put aside all of your fear of, well, this is nothing like what I do and see what you can learn from them. And I, I would say that's true, whether you're a scientist or an entrepreneur or an entrepreneurial scientist, you know, 
that I love what you're saying about, you know, have the connections and informal and informal connections. Yeah. Just like be a Renaissance person. Don't be a, don't be somebody who's, who's like, uh, this is my field and that's all I need to know. Yeah. Bella, don't you wish that you could take what you know now <laughs> and go back, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, say 20 years ago, right. When you kind of first started and I, you look back at how naive you were, right? Now, not you, I'm saying we, right? How naive, and then you, you know, it's just amazing. You know, you just, how did you even survive, you know? Well, yeah, I don't know. I mean, because, you know, I don't have the, the sort of the entrepreneurship experience that you do, apart from, you know, just studying this little cons- consulting company. But just, I was actually talking about this with somebody yesterday and saying, all right, so I did a lot of my work. I did on process improvement, right? Well, when I started to do that, honestly, excuse the language, I did not know what the hell I was doing. All we were doing was asking people, what are you doing? Writing it down. That was a massive improvement for companies that, you know, it's like your checklist had never done that. They were like, wow, this is awesome stuff. Well, there was so much more that we could have done, but we knew nothing about it. And um, yeah, yeah, I don't know that I want to live through everything that happened in the no. past twenty years. But <laughs> yeah, I, you know, but yeah, people always say like, there's a, there's this thing that says you can pick any age you want, and you can go back and and be that age again. What you know, what age would you pick? Now, there's there's you can say that about business, or and you can also do that same thing about your personal life too. You know, um, but you know, I, I definitely most people would not pick their teenage years. <laughs> You know, because, uh, you know, you, you lack self-confidence and, you know, a lot of it depends. You know, when you had, had asked my wife that question, she would say her teenage years because she had just such an incredible time in her lives then. But, um, but you know, yeah, I look back at my, you know, when I first started and, um, you know, you, when, uh, when in, in, I, I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years for my first, uh, and that was a great experience. I loved working for Xerox. And then at the age of 30, I started my first company. But, you know, I didn't know what the heck I was doing starting my own you know, business. And what happens is, you know, I use this terminology a lot. I was I learned it from another. Entrepreneurs are autodidactic, which is self-taught. And you you really just have to plow through trying to learn as much as you can. And at the same time, try to eliminate mistakes so that you can survive and uh because it really takes three to five years to um, to build a successful business, you know, and and three to five years for you to start paying yourself. So you better have a runway, and you better not make a lot of mistakes. Because if you do, you're going to be back working for somebody else, which is not a bad thing. It's just you know, it's uh, just doesn't help you with your dream, right? It's, yeah, maybe it's not what you really want to do. Yeah. You know, um, so you, you know, so you, you know, you got to learn from, you know, I, I always look for people with snow on the roof, you know, they got gray hair because they've been through it. They kind of, they can kind of, you know, help you a lot. And I, you know, entrepreneurship is very lonely. It's very lonely. Um, and you think, but in a scientific community, it's really not, you kind of work on teams, don't you? You know, I think there's that myth, you know, the, the scientists we talk about scientists usually men who who worked you know came up with this great discovery or that great discovery and we only talk about the individual but they um almost always have people who are helping them yeah. and um you know it, it particularly the more technical the work gets the more people and equipment it takes to actually do it yeah um 
and, and and that's just something you know. I think there's a there's a something there that goes along with with being an entrepreneur too. A lot of scientists that I've that I've seen and I know about, they kind of start to believe their own stuff about what a great thinker they are, and they forget about times you know that they were sitting in the pub or after work, and somebody said something and it spurred an idea. And um, yeah, so I think it's very important that people acknowledge who's helping them. And, and, and like you said, it, it might be lonely being an entrepreneur, but if you're, I would, you know, I think if you're getting that, that posse around you, you're going to get better help from the posse if you're acknowledging what they're doing. And well, I think you're doing it wrong if you are, uh, let's, honestly, if you are lonely as an entrepreneur, you, you're doing something wrong. You really are. You shouldn't be that way. It should be, you should be working on, on a team of people. You're one of the important people on that team as an entrepreneur. And I also the thing too, is that you, if you find, you should be humble. You should be humble. You should not be arrogant. You know, if you're arrogant, let me tell you something, you're going to make a mistake because arrogance means that you always know what the right thing is to do. Right. And that means you're not accepting listening to other people too. And I, I, I I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to, you're going to get in trouble one of these days because you're drinking your own Kool-Aid too much. Well, you know, that's, that's a whole other discussion about what manager behavior or leader behavior does to the people around them. And you're absolutely right. So if you really want to have that psychologically safe environment where somebody can come up to you and go, hey, Stephen, what you're about to do is really, really stupid. And let me tell you why. If they know you're going to yell at them or they know that you're going to cut them out of, you know, when you you know, when your stock gets public, they are not going to do it. And then you, you are all alone, right? So, so there is, even if, you know, and this is something I see like with, with um, especially with younger people is, and, and scientists is that it's so into what well, I'm doing my science right, they totally forget the impact of their behavior on the people around oh, yeah. them, the people they're trying to get to support them. So well, I think it's super hard, right? I, I think it is. I think it's, um, you know, I notice it. Um, I think the younger generation is really going to, you know, the, it's called EQ, right? Emotional intelligence. The ability... Um, I think the younger generation who I think the kids that they're super smart and they're, and they're super great at problem solving. I question if they can work really well with other kids, other people. Um, and, uh, and so, and I think that's a real, that's going to cause some real problems. You know, um, you know, I think my son's 21, he's graduating from Boston university and um, his EQ is fantastic. He's in pure science. But I, I think that's going to be such an advantage for him. Because yeah, well. he's, yeah, because you see people in other computers, in computer science, his friends, they can't work on a team. They, they just, they want to only do one thing and that's it. So I can kind of see that maybe that's kind of science related too a little bit. Well, it's computer science. It's a science. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, so... Are you seeing that too? Yeah, I think I think that there are things that kids today, and I, you know, I hate to say it, it makes me sound really old, but I am really old, uh, do that actually could be helpful for that. So I would say, you know what, if you're a parent and you're watching your kids and they're playing video games, 
Um, you know, yeah. they who knows what they're doing, right? But some of the video games are collaborative. They're very collaborative. And, they are. Right? And some of the video great games are not collaborative. If you're just going out and shooting everybody else, you know, I don't know that that helps you with those skills. But there are definitely ways that kids can make up for what they might be missing in terms of, you know, they don't. I think, you know, they're overscheduled. They don't get to go out and play and just learn how to be collaborative on the playground anymore. But there are ways that I think that parents can help, that can yeah, help young I, people develop those collaborative skills and, and talk about, you know, talk about things like, I'm sure your son has a high EQ because you guys talk about emotions at home. I, that makes a big difference. You know what? I think it's a gift. I think I, I, it's actually a natural gift. Uh, I, um, so um, I, do we talk about, I, we talk about the idea that I, you know, I think a jo- my job as a parent is to re- help kids. My kids have to re- recognize what is comes natural to them because if it comes natural, then usually it, they're going to be, they're going to like doing a job that involves the things that they're already good at. You know, if you have to work hard and you're not good at something and you take a job in that, like, le- like if you are terrible at math, and you go become an accountant, you're probably not going to like being an accountant, right? Because you're not good at it. You're not good at the math, right? So anyway, I, I didn't want to go down into the, I mean, we're getting yeah, into the weeds, that's the weeds right? Yeah. We're getting off the stuff a little bit. Um, but, um, but you know, so let, let's take do some takeaways here, sure. right? So from your opinion and from your experience, what what we talked about so far? What are some takeaways that businessmen and women and entrepreneurs can uh, can take from the scientific community? I would say the first thing is just actually we were just talking about emotions. Is D is taking the emotion out of data? If if you if you I see some it. data, just take the emotion out of it. I would, and now I say the second thing is, I love that conversation we had about the balance between pessimism and optimism. I think that the thing that is really important there is to make sure that you are getting, as you said, you are, you are getting that, that great advice from people who will, who will tell you something, but you're not looking at it as something to, um, that, that ends what you want to do. You're looking at it as simply an obstacle to overcome. And I think the third thing is, if you can go through thinking about the idea that here's a set of knowledge that I can totally rely on because I know enough about it and I understand all the variables, you know, that you start from that set of knowledge, but you are always clear that the, as soon as you get into a new environment, you're going to have to do experiments like Stephen, like you said about the traveling nurse business and the margins, right? As Then you'll be behaving more like a scientist. What a scientist, a real scientist never does is look at an objective and just say, all I need to do is march through these steps to get to the objectives. A scientist will always test out things to make sure if they're working. You know, on that note too, like I'll give you, I'll give everybody out there, listeners, a real life example. Um, I had one of the, one of my best employees ever. Um, she worked for me for two different companies and we're still really great friends too. She doesn't work for me anymore, but um, she would come into my office and she'd say, Oh, this, this potential client, this prospect said this, and we need to change uh, this like pricing. And I'd be, and so I come, I go back to her and I'd say is, okay, well, show me the data, show me 
show me where other people have said this exact, this is a little objective still, but show me where other people have said the same thing. Because she would come to me with these one-off situations. And I'd be like, one person doesn't make it real. It's, you know, you got to hear it over and over and over. But my point being is like, whenever I like making a decision, I want to see the data first. And like my favorite author is Malcolm Gladwell because he he's amazing. He takes these, you know, he, like there's a lot of people like him, but I like the way he tells stories. And he'll take this problem, you know, like about why people are in prison so much more now. And he'll look at the data and he'll dissect it over and over and really cut it down. And he'll come back with something that you were not expecting. And he will prove it with the data. I like to make decisions. I like using, and he also wrote a book that saying that your instincts are just as valuable as data. But what I like to do is to do both. Combine my instincts with data. And yeah, uh, yeah I was going to say, what if, from a scientific perspective, one of the things that's really interesting about instinct is this if you if you get into a situation and you start to feel uneasy or uncomfortable people will say to you listen to your gut right um so what's actually happening from a biological perspective is that there's this little thing in your brain called the amygdala and it stored some memories now it may or may not have stored those memories correctly but it stores essentially bad memories now the situation you're in has triggered your amygdala to send out hormones to make you feel uneasy it's easy to say, trust your gut, right, in that situation and step away. But the, 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 the more, I would say the more mature thing to do or the, the more educated thing to do is to say, why is my gut telling me this? Yeah. And can I trust my gut? Because sometimes, you know, there's this, as someone said, you know, there's a snake in the road in front of you. Your gut's going to tell you step out of the way, right? But sometimes your gut is going to basically, you know, tell you something that isn't true because it's based on a memory that was not properly imprinted or a, or a false memory. Um, and so instinct is hugely valuable, but like everything else, you have to have a little bit of skepticism and then you have to think about, all right, this is an obstacle. How do I overcome that obstacle? You know, yeah. Maybe I really am afraid of going, you know, and speaking to a group of investors. My gut tells me that that's an uncomfortable situation. Okay, that's an obstacle to overcome. It's not something to step away from. Yeah, I, I, uh, you, I think you said caught my attention, and that was um, you said you, you, the memories that you implant, which I, I knew, I knew about this. Um, the if you if it was if if it was traumatic. Or if it was negative, you remember those more than the positive ones. Yeah. So therefore, I think that you really have to question your instincts even more because maybe you remember something bad that happens more than something that was good. So uh, listen, there's yeah. nothing. <laughs> there's nothing right. Listen, there's nothing wrong with you with you um, having an instinct, having to, to do something, looking at trying to see if you can get some data, okay, to determine. And then, and if the data points a different, direction, a different direction and you still decide to go with your instinct, fine, <laughs> fine. You know, who can, you know, just, you know, just why not get more sides, you know, 
why not look at more data and more things and more input and, and stuff? It'll, I, how could it not be a better decision than going by the seat of your pants? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and that, that would be the scientific approach is, is, well, do we have all the data we need, right? Yeah, yeah. I think people would say is just the one thing you don't want to do is, um, was, was it um, paralysis? What, is, what does that say? Yeah, analysis paralysis. Pa- right? Analysis right. paralysis, right? Right, right. Where you, you know, and I don't think anybody who's running a business, honestly, is, is going to be that way. I think they're going to have the opposite problem where they make very quick decisions. And, you know, I'm not talking about doing, you know, this, the data with every single decision you make, but for the important decisions. Yeah. I, I think that kind of, that kind of brings it right down to uh, making some better decisions. So yeah, it's good, yeah, it's good, good conversation. I, um, you know, I really enjoyed it. I knew, I, I knew there's going to be some interesting topics um, today. Um, so I just, you know, I really want to thank Bella for coming on today. Uh, Bella uh, Engelbach from Lean for Humans uh, for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Again, that's FS as in Financing Solutions, creditline.com. Bella, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Well, the easiest way is if you're on LinkedIn, just go to LinkedIn. I am the only Bella Engelbach on LinkedIn. I can guarantee you that. So I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah, we lost. Let me repeat that. She said she's the only uh, Bella Engelbach on LinkedIn. And she spells her last name E-N-G-L-E-B-A-C-H as well. Yeah, thanks, Stephen. And uh, my company website is leanforhumans.com. You can also reach out to me through the website. Uh, you can you can uh, find out about my book and you can catch my podcast there, which is called The Edges of Lean. And it's about all sorts of interesting topics related to continuous improvement. And now you're a coach, correct? Yes. Yeah. And what t- the people that you typically coach are, are what type of people? They're usually scientists. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have so I I do coach people who are not scientists, but um, I I like to coach scientists, and I like to coach people who are, um, you know, kind of at that point where they are, um, you know, a lot of people focus on on CEOs and senior management. I actually like to po- focus on people earlier in their career because I think that's a a place where people don't get support, and they should be getting supported. Good stuff. So, All right. Yeah. All right. Well, Bella, thanks for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I think we could probably talk for another three hours. No, I think so. A whole bunch of other stuff, but we're not going to do that today. No, we're not going to bore everybody. Thanks so much. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And if our listeners are interested in getting any new business ideas, I tweet daily about lessons for business owners at S. Halasnik. That's my name. At S-H-A-L-A-S-N-I-K. And all the all of you out there, I want to thank you for listening. It's uh, it's the start of a new year. I love New Year's because if you had a good year, then you can you know do it again. If you had a bad year, then you can say, oh God, I'm glad that year's over with and start afresh. And I think because of COVID, I think we're all thinking, Ugh, I want last year to go away. But we said that the year before as well. So, um, but I think this summer is going to be a lot better for many people. Anyway, everybody have a great day. Try to get outside no matter where you are. Being outside in nature helps your mindset. Everybody have a great day.